Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Awesome, awesome show in store for you today. We have Evan of Casa Verde, one of the preeminent cannabis VCs and the one that Snoop Dogg trusts and Snoop gives money to. We learn how he got to be Snoop's dude, as well as talk about their big investments in Ease and Mary Jane in LeafLink. Easily one of my favorite episodes now, guys. Instant classic. Enjoy. Tune in. Listen up. Get acquainted. Evan, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. There's few people that are a better fit for this program than you are, and it's a long time coming, uh, and great to have you. Great to have you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's get into it. So I think that you and Casa Verde are best known as the fund that Snoop Dogg works with. Somebody told me not to ever bury the lead, so we'll lead with that. And uh, But I think what me and a lot of people are wondering are, how involved is Snoop Dogg actually? You know, in, in many ways, very involved. You know, when we started this a couple of years ago, we started looking at, uh, you know, what experience can we all bring to the table? And obviously, we bring a very uh, diverse set of experiences. And, you know, the reality is some of us are more day to day and some of us are more strategic. And, and he plays a very strategic role in understanding the landscape, providing, you know, insight into what we're doing, uh, both from a historical perspective as well as, you know, uh, forward looking. So, you know, we, we are constantly in conversation, uh, you know, my partner, Ted, primarily, uh, but my other partner, Curran, and myself as well. So it, it really just depends on the type of an investment that we're making, the type of opportunity that we're evaluating um, and, and where we need that support. And is it generally like, is he one of the last pieces, like when you guys are thinking about investing in something or is it ever that he kind of comes with some deal flow? I mean, he must get a lot of inbound as well. Yeah, it's fluid. You know, we, we don't look at anything and say it has to follow a, a standard process. So there's a lot of inbound that he brings in and, and other people within that network. There's a lot of things that we evaluate and then bring out to the team for review. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, Karen and I make decisions and, and we, we run it by the team with, with Ted and Snoop where, where appropriate, but there's, there's no one way that a deal comes in that we evaluate. Do you guys disagree often? No, we're pretty much in line with what we're trying to do strategically. And, and so because of that, our, our thesis is very much focused and, and we agree on the types of opportunities we look for, the types of uh, founders and entrepreneurs that we think fit best within what we're doing, as well as the 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 fit that we have within the portfolio and, and the maturity of a company within the environment. So we're, we're pretty much in line. Um, you know, certainly as part of our, our ongoing conversations, we we do you know think through what we're trying to achieve with the portfolio, the types of companies that we want. So in that. In that dynamic, it's more of a conversation. I wouldn't say a disagreement. It's mm -hmm. understanding what are we trying to achieve and then, then how do we go out and do that? Yeah. Unpack the, uh, the thesis a little bit more that you were talking about. I mean, what exactly are you looking for? Is there a size of investment that you go after? I think most things that you've done, if not all, are on, all non-plant uh, non touching. You know, take me through kind of the, the strategy there a little bit. Absolutely. It's a great question. So our, our fund approach and our thesis to investing is entirely ancillary. So it's non-plant touching in, in the sense that, you know, we look for uh, technology enabled or technology uh, opportunities. So that could be anything from, uh, you know, cultivation technology, media, consumer product technology, 
Uh, it could be SaaS platforms, uh, really anything that is in and around the space that's supporting the growth of the industry. Um, where we don't, uh, you know, spend time within our thesis is in anything that's plant touching. So cultivation and processing, uh, retailers or things of that nature, we do not invest in uh, through Casa Verde. And is that just because of the risk profile or how was that decision made? No, there's, there's really a couple of reasons there. I mean, certainly the risk profile is a big factor in, in understanding the dynamic between state and federal regulations. Um, you know, but, but the reality is for us is we're looking for scalable enterprises that can do so efficiently. And, and the CapEx for, uh, you know, some of the plant touching businesses is significant um, without the, the same ability to scale today and, and not just scale domestically, but internationally. So, you know, that, that was a, you know, an initial thought around providing some coverage and protection, but ultimately it's because we're looking for companies that can scale and do so efficiently. And right now, uh, the ancillary businesses in the space can certainly do that, uh, far more efficiently and, and at a greater scale than, than anyone else that has to have a license uh, within any individual market. Yeah, well said. I think to put it a little differently, it's very hard to build any kind of a brand um, if you're touching the plant, right? I mean, you can't go across lines. There's lots of regulations, lots of things that make it hard for consumers to touch and, and see what you're doing. Um, I want to get in a little bit to some of the, the more well-known investments in the portfolio. And if you would, just kind of give us a, a quick update on some of those. So top of my list is Ease. Uh, they are a big name in the industry. I know a lot of people that use them. I know a lot of people that don't like you using them. Um, what's kind of a metric for success there? I mean, what looks like success for you uh, for ease at this point? You know, I, the best metric for success that we see in any technology platform, which is what they are, is, is user growth and engagement. You know, the, the repeat purchasers and, and users of the platform, um, the, the product changes that are being made to address user considerations. So, you know, that, that's a big part of, of what they're focusing on right now and in focusing on California. So, you know, the user growth has been, has been very strong. I think the, uh, repeat, uh, use is also very strong. So those are key metrics for us, you know, e even with a technology platform to your point earlier about building a brand, all of these companies are building brands right now. And, and that is, you know, where we've spent a lot of the last two decades is helping brands scale. And some of those are, are very much consumer facing and, and some of them are not. Um, but in a consumer facing brand, it, it's really about that user experience and, and making sure that you're addressing um, not just growth on a top line, but also, you know, what users want to engage in and, and increase that engagement. So we see that uh, consistently um, opening up new markets within the state. You know, obviously, within a regulated market, there, there are certain limitations to that growth. Um, but everything that we've seen has been very measured, very consistent. Um, we really appreciate the thought that the management team has brought to uh, their strategy and, and actually the the team and the talent that they've put together. So, you know, everything with what Ease is doing has been very strong. And, and I think they're opening up the marketplace that, that most people don't have an appreciation for, which is, um, you know, outside of the traditional dispensary or retail location, uh, you know, and, and more of that direct to consumer model. And for us, that's, you know, a great space, uh, not just now, but, but I think in general and outside of this industry is, is having that one-on-one -on -one connectivity uh, with your consumer. And, and certainly brands try and do that. And, and Ease becomes a platform for brands to actually have that conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, direct to consumer is everywhere, right? That's how everybody wants to sell everything, connect with their brand values and then try to relate to you in your Facebook feed or Instagram feed or, or wherever that's uh, that's hot and, and top of mind there. Um, What's the biggest issue facing ease as you go forward, as we look into 2018 and, and recreational? What's their biggest challenge? That's a great question. Probably a better question for Jim at the moment, uh, CEO over there. But what, what I would you know, view as their greatest challenge is, is um, you know, the, the regulatory hurdles within the different municipalities, you know, in, in California, um, you know, taking that into account and, and focusing on scaling in the markets that they can, uh, you know, ultimately it's competition. It's where you're going to find other operators that are, you know, maybe ha- has a different spin on that direct to consumer model. And, you know, because California is such a big market and, and recreation, you know, recreational use is, is, you know, six months away. We'll see if that actually happens, but, but fairly close to that, um, the interest in the California market has grown exponentially. And, and so I think that is, is an area of focus for them. Um, and, and staying ahead of that, you know, is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, okay, moving on a little bit. Uh, Mary Jane, one that's near and dear to my heart, the uh, the media outlet, uh, similar vein to kind of what we do, although on a little bit different scale. What was it about Mary Jane that got you excited? I mean, you know, how did that come together? And um, again, kind of how is that going? How do you measure success of, of that platform? Yeah, I mean, all great questions. Me, you know, media companies are always interesting and difficult to assess the the growth and the scale and the impact that they have. But in, in terms of what was exciting for us about what they were doing, and as they they entered the space to really create a voice for the for the mainstream and, and helping the industry present information in a way that was digestible for the mainstream. And you know, if you think about how. Uh, you know, trends happen or change, you, you look at influencers and, and part of the platform is is heavily focused on what are the voices that resonate the most in a mainstream audience. So you have the various partners who are part of the platform. You have the expansive reach of the network, both directly through their channels, as well as the channels of their partners and investors. And so they, they were able to create an environment very early on that spoke to a very large consumer base and not just domestically, but, but internationally. And, and that was a big focus for us as well. You know, a lot of the things that are happening in the space are hyper-local at the moment. And although that is great and, and it is something that over time you can scale, th- there's still a challenge of reaching that, that global audience. And, and the reality is the people that are interested in this industry, that are interested in what's happening in the US and, and more specifically in, in California, or even on the West Coast, it's a global audience. And their ability to, to reach that global audience from day one was, was really exciting for us. Um, you know, what I would say is in addition to that is the experience that you can create for your audience in addition to digital content is really important. And having the ability to launch, uh, you know, the, the first live tour events with, with AG and Live Nation to, you know, be first on the platform with Apple, these are all first that, they were able to achieve because of the deep relationships that that they have. So very exciting. I mean, to, to your question about measurement, it's hard. You know, it's hard to really understand that is, you know, is, is a million, you know, follower mark the, the mark of success. You know, I'm not really sure that that is the only indication nowadays, especially when you have so many diversified assets within a media platform. 
Um, you have to look at that in aggregate and you have to step back and see what the opportunity is and the platform. And I think they do an exceptional job of of building that platform and leveraging it, uh, you know, for the industry, you know, to share that voice, uh, especially from an editorial standpoint, um, their original content series and, and having, you know, super high production value, um, you know, you know, the, the voices that you want to have, you know, spreading that message. So we're, we're excited for where they've been and, and what they're doing and, and uh, the prospects for the future. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty great one. And thanks for that great answer. That was awesome. Um, how much do you guys get involved? I mean, uh, you sound very knowledgeable about, about the two companies we talked about so far, but you know, on a weekly basis, how in the weeds uh, is Casa Verde with the portfolio companies? You know, we actually like to get very involved. Um, you know, and it depends on the needs of our portfolio companies as well. I mean, some we have weekly calls, uh, some are less frequent, but we, you know, we bounce back thing, you know, bounce things back and forth on an ad hoc basis. Uh, you know, for us, it is about the ecosystem that we bring and, and some of the different business lines that we support. So, you know, we want to help and be helpful. We don't want to, you know, get involved and direct or create noise in an environment. There's already so much that, uh, you know, the co-founding team has to address. And, and so, we want to be there uh, to help support and guide and, and make the connections that are helpful. And so we'll do that as often as we need to. Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's weekly. You know, sometimes we really don't get involved until, you know, a quarterly board meeting. Um, but we're always thinking through how we can be helpful and be strategic within, you know, the, the public companies that we have. I'm sorry, the, the companies that are publicly known in our portfolio, as well as those that are not available yet to the public. Yeah, and you've sort of productized the additional services that you give to the portfolio companies. Um, um, Ello, is it called Ello, the operating company that um, with doing financial services and offering some other things? What what do the portfolio companies get out of kind of that relationship? Yeah, so there's two things. You know, there's the the baseline. You're in the network. You have the ability to get some strategic advice and, and our relationships, uh, you know, for the portfolio company. But a, a big part of, of what portfolio companies can get is really access to a network um, that can support their business in a very strategic way. So, so Ello is one, you know, I, I come out of the world of public accounting and, and consulting and auditing and, and really transparency and trust is what I would, I would classify it as. And what I saw in this industry was a lack thereof, a lack of transparency, a lack of trust around what operators are doing. And I wanted to take that experience and help bring it into the industry. So I partnered with a super regional firm, you know, based out of California who had an existing, you know, audit, tax, advisory, business management practice, wealth management practice, um, you know, a, a deep government practice and, and relationships in California, but wanted to bring that to the cannabis community. And, and so, you know, in that capacity, we offer outsourced accounting services and tax services and different strategic advisory services, whether that be around risk or compliance or governance or strategy. And so, it, you know, as a portfolio company within, you know, Casa Verde, you know, A, you have access to some insight that we gain from operating these different companies, but B, and, and sometimes more importantly, you have a trusted advisor that's in the network that's vetted for you that you have the option to work with. Um, and, and we, you know, we certainly don't require anyone to use anyone within our ecosystem, but it's, it's an advantage because we can gain additional transparency into what our, our portfolio companies are doing. We can help them in different ways 
that we wouldn't necessarily be able to if they, they work with partners outside of our network. Yep. Oh, that makes sense. A lot of, a lot of synergy there to use a, use a buzzword. How much of the LO business is made up of Casa Verde portfolio companies? You know, they're, they're entirely different. We have, uh, you know, several of our companies that are uh, clients of LO, but we have, you know, over 300 plus clients in the industry, you know, throughout the country. So it, uh, it certainly dwarfs the portfolio company size that we have. Um, but we do have a lot of crossover. We have crossover between, you know, our creative agency flower shop as well. Um, but I would say it's a small portion of our practice at Ello. Got it. That makes sense. So such tremendous like network effect and value for a company that wants to come into Casa's portfolio because there's these two other operating operating companies, one more financial, one more marketing that they also get to benefit and, and the companies in those portfolios for lack of a better term. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's one of the things that we want to also make sure that we do is, is we bring that insight and we bring that opportunity to everyone within the ecosystem. You know, the, the industry is so young at this point and, and there's a lot of support that's needed. And the best way to do that is to continue to network and find the best people um, in your community that that are supportive. And so that's that's what we continue to develop and grow. And, and that's what we want to bring out to our portfolio companies and our clients within the different companies. Yeah, let's talk about sort of the, the bri- broader landscape here. Um, you know, what are some of the trends you're looking at now? What's the future, not distant future, but next 18 months in cannabis? What are, what are some things that you're thinking about? It's a great question. One where I think you'll have as many answers as, uh, you know, people that you ask that question of. And it, it's interesting because I think one of the things that people ask all the time is, you know, how, how is this industry different and, you know, what's unique about it and, and what are the trends? And the way I approach that is really that it's not all that unique. It's not that different. Um, You know, if you think about the way that you operate, you know, a traditional agricultural business, uh, especially on on the commodity side, it functions in very much the same way as you think about cultivation. You know, and if, if you start to think about food production, you have the same supply chain issues. And so... There aren't a lot of differences. I think there's some nuance within the cannabis space, but the, the trends that we see in cannabis are very similar to the trends that we see in general. Um, a lot of machine learning, a lot of AI, a lot of uh, you know predictive analytics within a business context. Um, so those are really exciting and, and certainly trends. And, and innovation, I think, is really interesting coming out of the cannabis community because you certainly have a high value crop where you can you can actually invest in innovation to whether it be increase yield or you know decrease turn time um, you can't really do that in, in many other segments so we're seeing a lot of innovation in you know agricultural technology whether that be in uh, hydroponic or aeroponic or even lighting technology all of which is, is really exciting um, but in, in about, terms of, uh, yes, sorry, about like blockchain and crypto, anything that you're looking at there? You know, we, we've started to, and those are really interesting technologies. I, I think what's interesting about the space too is, is the normalization of uh, the understanding and awareness of what this industry really is all about. And, and blockchain and, and cryptocurrency is, is fascinating. You know, I, I think you're seeing a lot of these uh, ICOs over the last couple of months and, you know, the... The explosion of Ethereum and, and everything there, and they're, they're super interesting, highly speculative as, as most things are. But ultimately, I think the foundation of technology like blockchain can revolutionize industries. And, and what's interesting is that we have an industry that's at its infancy, 
and we can build things from from the ground up. Now, will that happen in the cannabis space? Likely not. Uh, there are some challenges there around transparency and uh, you know anonymity that that may create some some additional hurdles. But I, I think those are technologies that. Uh, can help to address some of the compliance matters, the seat to sell tracking uh, and traceability that we're looking for, as well as the financial transactions around, you know, the FinCEN guidance and, um, you know, KYC and AML rules. So uh, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, interesting companies trying to address that segment of the market. Uh, I think we're early to see who's really going to provide the technology that, that creates the platform for the future. I find it interesting that we've really focused on the monetary benefit of uh, of blockchain when, in essence, it's about de-risking any transaction. Uh, so very interesting to see how that's going to kind of come along. I mean, there's there's big companies that are middlemen in the world, um, brokers of such that that make sure your escrow goes through and everything is safe. And I think that's largely going to be replaced. Uh, now, whether or not that's going to solve banking in the cannabis industry, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. There, there, there are a lot of things you can automate um, and you know build into a learning system, and then there, there are just some things that may not pass the smell test. So yes, you can automate and, and create a, a really robust ledger system, um, but that doesn't address all of your risk. And, and I think that's important to understand too. So you, you have this technology that can help eliminate certain you know middle tiers of transaction you know level detail. But ultimately, you still need the eyeballs. You still need the, the human uh, touch to what's happening. And, and I think these technologies are fascinating and, and the solutions that they'll bring. Um, and we'll just adapt to what the, the human talent side of that is going to look like over time. Yeah, you mentioned risk there, uh, which is certainly appropriate for the cannabis industry. I think that's the perception that it's um, these are still risky bets. Is that what you find? Is it? significantly more risky than investing in other industries still? I would say that that depends on how you approach this landscape. Any investment has some level of risk and everything that we look at has some level of risk. And obviously the goal is to minimize that risk or increase the return based on the risk that you're willing to accept. It is certainly a risky industry. These are certainly risky investments. Um, what we look at is the diversification of that risk pool. And, and so the structure that we have does that. So is any one investment that we have riskier than another? Possibly. But as a pool, you start to look and, and you can you know amortize the risk across uh, the portfolio and across time with, with the regulatory environment that we have. And so that distributed nature really helps us address risk. So I, I would say it is a risky industry. But with that risk is opportunity and reward. And those that look at it and take a very measured approach will certainly have, I think, a longer term benefit to the growth of the industry. Um, you know, if you want to speculate, there are plenty of opportunities to speculate in any industry. Um, the difference here is that you have a, a slightly different regulatory uh, hurdle there, um, but no different than other heavily regulated industries. Particularly if we're talking about not touching the plant, which is what the, yeah. Um, how, up, how much does that come up in conversations with your own investors? Um, you know, when you try to go raise money, is it always a conversation of risk or is there just more money 
than you can handle. You know, I mean, what, what's the, the sentiment out there? There is always a conversation around risk, regardless of the sophistication of an investor. There's always a conversation around risk. Obviously, some already have an understanding of what their portfolio looks like and, and how they want to deploy in the space. Others, it's a little more of an education process. But if, if there is an investor that's not thinking about that, that certainly raises some concern for us. So we want to make sure that they're very well educated. They understand uh, you know, how they're looking to deploy capital from their portfolio, let alone ours, uh, and understanding their, their construction of what they have. We don't ever want someone to take um, you know, too much risk that they can't bear themselves. And so the way we construct our portfolio is the same way we would expect or, or hope that one of our RLPs does it for themselves as well. Yeah. Um, more specifically, how about Trump and the administration and Sessions? How concerned are investors of yours in, in particularly that? Yeah, it's a great question. Just get off another call a few minutes before this with an investor who asked the same question. And, you know, his conclusion was there's a lot of noise, but he's not really sure what the administration will do. And and I think that that's fairly accurate. Um, Our our investors, they they each have a different approach to investing into the market and and what the administration is, is doing and saying. And those are typically two different things as well. Um, the, the, the way that we look at it now is where is the market today and where is the market going? What types of priorities does this administration focus on and where does this fit within that, you know, that list of priorities? And, and if you start to distill down, um, you know, a lot of what this industry provides, economic development, job growth, um, you know, other stimulus within local markets, you know, made in the USA, all these different aspects. I think there's a, a tremendous awareness around the benefits that we have. I mean, certainly we can talk about some of the uh, potential impact, um, but when you when you look at public safety and public health and economic development, uh, you know, job growth, um, health benefits, reinvestments in infrastructure, this industry provides all of it. And then you sort of distill down the state's rights issue. Um, you know, we have an administration that that talks very much about states' rights and, and sort of favorable business environment. And so, you know, we don't know an answer. We don't have an answer. Uh, you know, we have a, a hypothesis of, of what has happened and, and what will continue to happen, you know, based on, on historic trends. Um, but we're, we're fairly comfortable with the, the approach that states are taking. You know, we have overwhelming support in markets that pass uh, legalization, whether it be for medical or limited medical or adult use as well. And, and I think that sentiment has resonated um, you know, fairly loudly, not just in the US, but internationally. And if we want to be a leader, uh, this is an industry to be a leader in. You know, We're seeing opportunities in other markets. You know, I think Canada is a great example of, um, you know, countries, G7 countries taking leadership positions in, you know, in this industry. And, and I think our administration likes to lead from the front, not from behind. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be any easing at the moment, um, but we're, we're certainly comfortable in this type of an environment. Obviously, our investors have their perspective on it as well. But the approach that we take within Casa Verde provides some, some level of comfort around what the what the current landscape looks like 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I happen to agree with you. I think, um, to put it bluntly, he's just got a lot of other shit to worry about right now. Um, and uh, it's been deprioritized. I think, you know, if they had their way, if Jeff Sessions ran the world, there probably would be no cannabis anywhere. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I sort of expect them to maybe try to rattle the cage a little bit, uh, but not to have any real meaningful uh, lasting results there. Um, yeah, you kind of brought up the the international landscape a bit. Seems like every day I wake up and there's an article about another country legalizing either medical or a state coming online for recreation. I mean, are are we as the U.S. behind now? It's a good question, and I would say that we're not behind in any way. Uh, you know, you look at the markets that have legalized around the world, you look at where a lot of the research is being developed, you know, in Israel and, and other markets, and, and, and I think that that, um, you know, in certain aspects, we may be behind uh, just because of, you know, federal restrictions, you know, I think research and development and, uh, you know, is the biggest, um, but having some of the largest institutions and, and um you know, in the U.S. now, opening themselves up and wanting to do that research and, and putting out the studies, you know, we'll, we'll catch up fairly quickly in, in those areas. But if you look at the overall market and the consumer base and innovation, I think that's overwhelmingly driven from from the U.S. now. And certainly, we can pay homage to everything that's happened in Amsterdam and in Spain and, and around the world. Um, but the U.S. has has maintained a lead, and, and I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I think well put. I mean, uh, when you look at what Canada and Mexico are doing, it starts to look like uh, we're the square in the in North America. But yes. uh, hopefully we. But but, but as far as, as innovation we'll, is concerned, you're absolutely we'll right. We'll figure that out. It's hard to be sandwiched in between two federally federally regulated industries and and uh, you know have the approach that we do unless uh, there's some easing or you know transparency around how this this industry will be constructed in the future. So I, I, I think it's great that we have that pressure. Um, the more they squeeze us, the more we're going to have to change. Yeah, definitely. Let's take a step back here. Um, I want to just talk about your background just uh, for a few minutes. You know, how do you put yourself in a place to what I think is one of the preeminent cannabis VCs out there and the person that Snoop Dogg trusts with his own money and reputation? How, how do you find yourself there? You know, it's been uh, it's been about a twenty plus year journey, to be honest. Um, not entirely always with Snoop, but with his also you know trusted you know advisor and business partner Ted, who was my college roommate. So we we have a very long history. We we've we've been able to work together uh, both personally and professionally for a very long time. And and it, you know trust is is really hard to come by and, and, and certainly in this industry. So we work well together. We understand each other. We can anticipate what we're, what we're doing. And also, and potentially more importantly, we, we come from different backgrounds and we have different professional experience. And so having the, the mindset that I have around, uh, you know, compliance and risk and uh, operations and strategy you know, is complement some of my other partners like Snoop and like Ted, who, who maybe have more of a consumer facing, um, you know, entertainment, marketing, communications background. And then my partner, Curran, who has a more traditional finance background, you know, who was, who's worked through the system at Goldman Sachs and opened up offices for them internationally and, you know, has been a, an investor for so long. You know, bringing all that together, you know, the, the journey never starts at the end. But if we, you know, we start today and look backwards, 
everything that each one of us has done throughout our career has, has led us to this point. And I think that provides a lot of really unique experience and perspective on what we're doing today. So, you know, could I have predicted, you know, when I moved out to, to California and Los Angeles eight years ago that I'd be sitting here today and on a call with you and everything that you've been doing for the industry and, and you know, talking about the investments that we're making in, in a, you know, a exponentially, um, you know, interestingly uh, growing market. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to predict that. But I can say I'm exceptionally happy and, and humbled to be part of this process right now and, and looking forward to what that future is. And, you know, I've had a lot of entrepreneurial experience. I've, I've worked in many industries. Uh, you know, I think the, the most appropriate, aside from my consulting and, and sort of risk and, and uh, compliance background, is, is hospitality. And, you know, I look at this industry and, and my experience there, which is everything related to understanding how to engage a consumer or a user in any capacity. And that could be a patient, it could be anything. And making sure that experience is the best it can possibly be at all times is really something for me that's important. And having that perspective, having the entrepreneurial drive and vision, um, similar to my, my other three partners, is really important. Um, and, and so it's been an exciting journey. It's, it's, I can't say it's only been the last five years as we started to look at the space uh, more diligently and traveling to each of the markets that were opening up, uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, you know, obviously that, that played a big part of it, but it started way before then. Mm-hmm. What's next? What's, what's next for Casa Verde in the next, I won't say five years, but I don't know, 18 months or so? Really continuing to build, you know, continuing to build a portfolio that we think is diversified and, and uh, you know, creates the platform of the future for the industry. And, and you know, the, the infrastructure that we're investing in today will be the platform of the future. So, you know, the next 18 months will be interesting. You have, uh, you know, certain states that pass recreational or adult use, however we want to phrase it, uh, you know, during the last election cycle. Many of those frameworks are being developed now. Uh, the impact of markets such as California uh, domestically and internationally is going to be astounding. And, and so the, the next over the next 18 months is really wait and see. You know, let's see what happens. Let's um, adapt to the changing environment. Let's be positioned to do everything uh, as best we can. You know, let's build in control. Let's build in process so that we have the platform for growth. So that when we look at our portfolio and the you know the construct of it, it's what do we know we need today, and, and what are the opportunities that we think are going to be important in the next eighteen months for this industry in particular, but for the growth overall of, of what we're trying to achieve. And so. You know, bringing in really strong operators, people that are comfortable with change and comfortable with, uh, you know, challenges and and building teams, Um, you know, finding technology that can help transform the industry and create efficiencies. Uh, And then making sure that we bring, you know, different LPs opportunities and, and give them the line of sight that we have within the industry. Yeah, let's talk about the LPs just for a second. I mean, uh, what what's the base of your investors look like? Are these family offices? Are they angels? Are they funds? You know, what's what's the makeup look like? Yeah, it's a mix. So you know, the majority of w- what we've seen as capital deployed in the space is not institutional at the moment. 
Um, so it's, you know, family offices, ultra high net worth individuals, angels, uh, people that see the opportunity for what it is and, and doesn't or don't have, you know, some of the same restrictions that an institution may have. So that is the construct. Um, it's a mix of uh, finance professionals. It's a mix of seasoned entrepreneurs. It's a mix of, uh, you know, technology founders, people from our experience over the last 20 years. And, and um, you know, we, we want to have a diversified pool. We want to have strategic investors, not just for what we're doing today, but, but for what we're doing in the future. And so, you know, it's a blend. Um, we don't look for any one type in particular, but we look for strategic investors that, that fall within that, um, you know, within that framework. What's it going to take for the bigger LPs to get involved? I mean, you know, are we going to see a point where the teachers union is, you know, CalPERS, uh, you know, what, what's it going to take to have these big LPs come into the space? It's a great question, and, and I think it really is going to depend on regulatory reform and federal easing for those LPs to get very comfortable. Uh, you know, some of them are making some strategic uh, deployments in the space. Others are very much waiting for that broad landscape. Um, I don't think there's any one trigger. You know, you do have some larger institutions that are entering the space. I mean, for example, with LeafLink, you know, that was an investment that we that we made with Larry Hippo out of New York, you know, very exceptionally large, well-respected venture capital firm. And, and there are others. So, you know, I think institutions are getting comfortable in the space. Obviously, they, they have agreements and, and limitations within those operating agreements that that do not allow for certain uh, investments. And, and some of them are just vice broadly. Uh, some of them might be more narrowly focused, but I think it's a matter of time and, and understanding, you know, the more research that we have, uh, you know, from trusted institutions, like many of the California institutions um, will help those same LPs like CalPERS and others to, to understand what this opportunity is and more importantly, what the risk factors are. Um, you know, you can break it down to, to many different things and, and some of them are just, uh, you know, based in tradition rather than in research. And, and so some of the things you may not be able to, to change. Um, if I'm against drinking coffee, I may never change that position on drinking coffee. And it's not about is it legal or illegal. Um, that's going to be hard to change uh, if someone has a limitation because of, you know, regulatory and legal hurdles. That's going to change over time. And you know, large markets like California implementing robust regulatory frameworks will provide a platform for those types of LPs to get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to switch gears here just uh, just a bit. Uh, to me, and I think a lot of other people out there, being a cannabis venture capitalist sounds like about the coolest job you could ever have. Uh, and so I, I kind of am curious, you know, what's your day look like? What do you do on a normal basis? What's, what's your schedule look like? Yeah, my schedule is a little bit different than most because I, I get involved in, in so many different aspects of the ecosystem. Um, you know, it, it's a fairly lengthy day. You know, I, I tell a lot of people now, you know, I'm looking forward to when I'm not working seven days a week. But but right now, that's, um, you know, as much as I, I do take personal time, the the amount of time I think about the industry and, and our portfolio companies and, and the way that we, we work is is really seven days a week and, and almost 24 hours a day. 
Um, but on a, on a typical day, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, new deal opportunities. We're finalizing, um, you know, different, uh, you know, financings that we already have that we've been working on. We're evaluating strategy for, uh, you know, some of our, our marketing clients. Um, we're executing campaigns and we're hosting events or we're attending events or we're speaking at a conference here or there. Um, or, you know, I'm helping a client figure out their compliance program and, and how to get uh, prepared and ahead of what a regulatory framework looks like. So the way that I think about it really isn't what specific task or service it's more how can I be of service to the community? How can I be of service to our portfolio companies or our clients? And, you know, everything that I do now is in the world of cannabis, but I think about everything as a macro, you know, environment as well that might impact that same community and what I can do between the different companies that we operate as well as our portfolio companies and our clients, how they can all work together. So, I think more and I typically think more as either an entrepreneur or as a consultant, which is how do we solve the problems that we have? And in order to solve the problems that we have, we have to first identify those problems. Um, and so the identification piece and, you know, the, the, the problem solving or the conversation around it, that's the majority of my day. And whether that is in making a decision to invest in a new portfolio company uh, working with an LP on, on a capital raise, uh, you know, opportunity, they all, to me, it, it really functions around what is the challenge? What are we trying to solve for? How do we solve for it? Um, and that can manifest it, itself in, in many different ways. It might be over a dinner. It, it might be over a lengthy, you know, board meeting, um, or it might just be in, you know, a, a you know, a deep dive analysis in, in a, a portfolio company that we're looking at. Doesn't Not sound boring. boring. That's for sure. <laughs> never boring. That's for sure. Never the same and never boring. How much of that includes uh, consuming cannabis? I mean, how big of a part of uh, your life is that? You know, it, it's definitely part of my life. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a big part of my life, but what I would say it's a really important part of my life, understanding and learning to understand the practical application and the societal uh, impact that this plant does have is, is really important for me. So if I think about my day and in any given day and, and the different things that I have to deal with, you know, some of them are very stressful. And for me, if I'm looking for, you know, some relief that, you know, I don't meditate, I, I don't do yoga, um, I, I typically am able to find that that piece, but sometimes it is a little bit easier for me to to consume, whether it be a low dose edible or uh, you know some flower that that fits their specific purpose. You know, it's purposeful. It, it's it's used um, in a way that helps me, and whether that's to relax or de stress after a long day, or if it's in or if it's at a point in time where. I'm really looking to be creative and, you know, focus on a, a challenge and solutions that I want to be able to, you know, have some sort of nonlinear thinking pattern. Um, I may consume for that reason, but it, it's always very purposeful. 
And how do you like to consume? I mean, what works for you? Flowers, dabs, edibles? What are you into? Yeah, you know, I, I there there are a lot of things I don't do. Um, I, I don't dab. It's it's not something that I'm very comfortable with or around to each his own. Uh, you know, I do prefer a low dose edible. I think it gives me the the platform or perspective that I need. Um, you know, I certainly don't do that all the time. Um, Quite often, depending on the scenario, uh, you know, flower or a vape is something that's easy. Uh, if it's discretion, certainly a vape. Uh, if it's the experience and the flavor and the taste and the aroma, it's flower. Um, and, you know, I, I guess most of the time it is a preference to uh, flower if it is a short term need or a low dose edible if it is a, a longer term need. Yeah, I'm not super into the concentrates either. I'm I'm squarely on team flowers, um, but but I always like to sort of reiterate here. It's a it's an important part of, of this show and, and everything that I do that to kind of connect the important work you do and the success you have during the day with still consuming cannabis. And uh, I love the way you talk about it. A lot of way that a lot of people in the industry talk about it is like it's just not that big of a deal, <laughs> you know. Like I get my shit done, and yeah, sometimes I smoke weed too, and I think that's it's just always important to, to reiterate a little bit. You know, yeah. just sort of riffing on that, it actually is a big deal. You know, it is a big deal to me to be able to do that and allow others to be able to do that too. And, and you know, I think many people take it for granted that, you know, some people need this and it's a crutch and, and other people need that. Um, I don't see it the same way. I think it is important to understand everything that we consume and everything that we do and, and have it be very purposeful. And, you know, some of that purpose is purely just relaxing on a weekend with friends or getting into a deep conversation with a significant other. Um, and, you know, as much as in, uh, let's call it my past life, after work, we'd go out to a bar and have a few drinks. It's just not something that I look forward to anymore. Um, what I do look forward to is hopefully at one point being in an environment where I can consume, uh, you know, in, in, in an environment where I can be social and with friends or colleagues, um, but have a very different experience have, you know, to me, what I see as a more helpful experience and, and, and one where I can open up more and be more conversational where I typically am not, you know, I'm, I'm a little more of a, a shy reserved person. Um, but having that opportunity to consume it's important to me to be able to do that. And it's important for me so that patients who need this, um, others who use it for whatever purpose they have, have the ability to do so. And I don't take that for granted. I don't take for granted the fact that I'm in California now, which is a very different mindset than where I'm from, you know, in New York. And, and I'm still a New Yorker. I always will be. But the mindset and the approach to life and lifestyle in California is very different and one that I appreciate. Um, not that I don't love the hustle and bustle of New York. Like I said, I'm, I'm a New Yorker and always will be. Um, but, I, but I do find that having the ability, to your point, step back and appreciate the fact that I can consume and I consume in a very responsible way. I think that's very important uh, for this industry and, and for everyone who's looking to either enter or be involved in the space. Um, it is very important for me. It's important in my day-to-day my -day interactions. It's important in the businesses that I founded and the businesses that I invest in um, and really the, the responsibility of, of the investors that we have in Casa Verde as well. So, you know, it's, just, it's the way I look at it. It's not about right or wrong. It's just how I view things. And, and I think um, there are a lot more people who may tend to agree with that approach now than, than would it. And that's a great thing to be part of. 
Yeah, I think it's an awesome perspective. Um, yeah, I just feel so lucky. Uh, I think we often take for granted being in California. You're in L.A. I'm in San Francisco. That there's a lot of places in the world where this is impossible or you get killed over it or you're thrown in jail forever. Uh, it's an incredible time to be doing this. And I just feel lucky to have a, a little part in it. Uh, yeah. So just one more, I'll get you out of here on this. You talk to a lot of founders. Uh, I'm sure you see a lot of decks have a lot of conversations. What's some advice for a founders, a lot of founders that listen to the show, uh, what's a, a piece of advice that you could leave them with? That's a great question. Um, you know, probably the most important thing for me is be very thoughtful and mindful of not just your time and your team's time, but of the investors that you're looking to raise money from as well. Uh, you know, do your research, understand your key metrics, be able to share and communicate very concisely with what you're trying to achieve and why. And, you know, know that there is not a right answer. You know, I don't think anyone can go into something and say, this is the formula and it's perfect. Uh, so, so don't think that you have to be perfect. Know that a lot of the journey is just that. It's a journey and it's an experience. And ideally, you know, with the right partner, you're on that journey together. So, you know, just be thoughtful about the way you use your time and you communicate um, you know, I think this is, is sort of a two way street, but always be respectful of that. And, um, you know, for us, if, if you're looking to approach Casa Verde and myself or my partners, um, you know, do so in a way that, that understands what we're trying to do. Uh, we get a lot of people who approach us with, with things that we would never invest in because it's not part of our thesis. And so, you know, be thoughtful about that. It, it's, you know, it's always great to meet and network. Um, but, but make sure you're using your time wisely and, and those of others around you. And work seven days a week. Uh, don't work seven days a week, actually. Get your sleep, be clear-headed, uh, you know, be passionate and understand and, and uh, you know, be tactful in your approach, but take your downtime. It's, it's very, very necessary. And, and I think uh, just broadly in, in a venture and entrepreneurial environment, mental health and, and understanding things that impact you and uh, you know, different inputs and stressors is really important. And, and I, I can't stress that enough is, is know your boundaries. Uh, your boundaries may not be the same as others. Don't look to someone else for guidance on what they do and, and think that that's what you need to do. Be yourself, know what, what you can do and what you can achieve and, and build those around you to, to help grow. And, and don't think that you have to do everything on your own, but, but definitely do not work seven days a week. Awesome. I think that's as good a place to wrap up as any. Thanks so much, Evan. It's been really great conversation. Easily uh, instant classic, one of my favorites, and we've done a number of them at this point. And I really appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everything you do for the industry and, and giving people a voice and, and uh, always happy to be a part of it. Thanks so much, Evan. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time.